we, I listened to the podcast with Alex last night. Nice. And there was definitely one point where you could hear me open a bottle of bourbon because you heard that. that <laughs> Dude. Alex, Alex just looked at me and was like, are you kidding me, man? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's so funny. I literally, I remember hearing that both when I listened to the final product, but also when I was editing it. And I couldn't figure it out. I was like, okay, it sounds like someone cracked a beer, but I don't think Kush was drinking a beer. So I didn't even think no, about that it was, being a bourbon that bottle. That's so funny. Believe me opening a bourbon bottle. And Alex is <laughs> like, you're unbelievable. Dude, that's, I mean, that's perfect. Can that just be like the intro soundtrack or something to our podcast? I feel like, I feel like we, if, if we can bring that back, yeah. Like, I mean, like, <laughs> like, it really took her like not even five seconds. And she was like, you, like, Matt, you realize everyone could hear you opening a bottle of bourbon. I was like, I mean, the show, the name of the show is, <laughs> it has bourbon in it. Yeah. I mean, it's, if it's going to be any kind of background noise, it should be something that has to do with the podcast. And, what That's better, what you know? What better than opening a nice bottle? I mean, that's that's kind of how I feel. <laughs> that's really funny, man. Well, like the second it. I heard it, I was like, "Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> I love it." I know it's the best time of year. <laughs> Pictures... Hold on, God bless it, <laughs> Frank. You're a good boy. Lay down. Good thing Milo eats fast. That took him about. 13 seconds Dude, maybe to uh, you know dinner. what we need to have an eating contest between <laughs> frank and milo because frank right. I, I get worried frank is gonna throw up he eats so fast oh dude yeah milo just he started inhaling and i don't know if you heard me like whisper like okay slow down slow yeah. down because he literally was like <laughs> like choking on it and he was still going because he's so hungry yeah, no, it's not normal. No, no, Frank. Frank Little doesn't breathe. It's just like a vacuum. He's like a little Hoover vacuum, and then it's gone. And then if Ozzy hasn't finished, he like literally walks over and starts nudging Ozzy away from his plate. Dang. So we have to. It's literally to the point now where we have to stand by Ozzy's plate. It's ridiculous. Are you are you t- trying to tell me that you have the Joey Chestnut of dogs on your hands here? Uh I have the Joey Wiener of dogs. Actually, which is funny. <laughs> Yeah, I have the Joey Chestnut of Wiener. Yeah, he's he's uh, how he isn't six hundred pounds and his stomach is not dragging on the on the floor is amazing to me. I don't I don't understand. I mean, I can't even watch those competitions because they gross me out so much. Oh, but the disgusting. fact that he can like he can just fill his belly with like literally thirty wet hot dogs at any given time and barely blink an eye, but and that's over like three minutes flat, right? Like but, it's not even. Did, have you seen the thirty for thirty with him and? The- no, I have not. I'm oh sure my god, that that thirty for thirty is wild. Like Kobayashi literally has tendonitis in his jaw. Oh, oh no, really? Yeah, like it's no. I, I, that's all I'm gonna say. But like, I'm gonna tell you right now, it was one of the most wildest thirty for thirties I've ever watched. Like I love them all because like they're good. Like they're genuinely good. Yeah. But like this one was like it was crazy, man. Damn. I'm gonna have to check that out. That's definitely check. Definitely check it out. And it sounds like a oh, horror movie. <laughs> oh my god! You know what? It may like I always worry sometimes that I eat too much. I watched this and I was like, Nah, bro, I'm good. <laughs> You're like, like bro, I'm, compared I'm okay. to these guys, I'm like, like I'm I'm freaking... healthy. I'm okay. Yeah, but okay. yeah, dude, it's great. <laughs> like you don't re- like I never realized like how much work went into what they do. Like I was just like, Oh man, they just like to eat. Like I like to eat, right, right, like right. that. <laughs> but like these dudes let that like it's insane, man. I'm sure. Jeez. Definitely, definitely check that out and get back to me on that one because that one is wild. All right, I will. That sounds disgustingly awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, don't get me wrong. Like, 
if anything, it will make you, it'll just affirm like the choices you've made in life up to this point were right. <laughs> like you're okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like All short right. of being a serial murderer, any decision you've made, uh, like you're okay. Hey, if but, you uh, you put Kobayashi and Joey Chestnut in a cereal eating competition, would they be serial killers? All oh! Right. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out on that one. Oh, that's fantastic! <laughs> Woo! Boom! <laughs> Done. And <laughs> I'm glad you like that because I think of stupid puns like that sometimes, but it's just me and the dogs, and they just look. Oh, but when you so, think of you stupid know. puns like that, you gotta send them to me, man. All right, I'll text them to you from now on. I'll I definitely do that. that. I love, I love, I love puns like that. The 21-year-old star shark shortstop. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> Sounded like I said shark. <laughs> okay, welcome everybody to episode 7 of the Bros, Balls, and Bourbon podcast. I'm your co-host, Jeremy Dorn, coming to you from Asheville, North Carolina. I'm with my buddy, Matt Cushman, in Nashville, Tennessee. What's going on? Not a whole lot. It's uh, The sun's finally out. It's actually a normal temperature down here again today. It's high 40s, low 50s, so I'm, I'm, I'm very happy. The, the snow's melting, so it's good. That's wild that it's taken the span of two recordings for your snow to melt in Nashville, Tennessee, of all places. So I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> I hope you guys are warming up, getting back to normal. Um, dude, I got to give you some quick props before we get started here. I, I put up this Twitter poll the other day, and I know that you voted correctly in it. So that is where the props are coming from. Yeah. Um, it's, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. It stemmed from a, a disagreement with my wife I had over dinner one night when we were talking about making something with tofu in it a different night. And I started singing like, ooh, you killer tofu. She looked at me like I was insane. <laughs> so I was like, okay, what the hell? So I put this poll up on Twitter. Unfortunately, it was split exactly 50-50 at the end, which was surprising. Uh, obviously, it is in reference to uh, Doug, the TV show from the 90s on Nickelodeon. My takeaway from that poll is that either I'm extremely old or not enough people on Twitter were into good shows in the 90s. But either way, that was obviously the uh, fictional band, The Beats, from Doug singing their famous song, Killer Tofu. No, I, it was so it was so weird because I, I like I read that tweet and I literally sang the song in my head. And I was like, oh, my God, that's from Doug. And so like I went back later that day and like they, they actually have the music video on YouTube. Like there's not like a music video, like but they're like they're singing. It's like actually like a whole song. It's like I think it's like maybe two minutes, but it was it was amazing. I, I I bumped that thing in the house the other day. It was great. And to be honest, it's actually kind of a banger. Yeah. Just objectively speaking, it's a pretty darn good song. So anyway, you know we're getting off topic again, like we often do here. But let's uh, let's start this episode with my favorite sport. Yay! Finally, we are starting with something other than football. Again, all due respect to the great sport of football. We're going to talk a little bit about baseball because spring training has officially sprung for baseball. Pitchers and catchers have reported more players are on the way. And despite an ongoing labor dispute, the uncertainty of COVID surrounding the season, all of that aside, um, you know, there is a lot of baseball news to discuss. And the biggest news recently 
there are plenty of big name players still unsigned at the moment, but one man who is not unsigned is Fernando Tatis Jr. of the Padres. The 21-year-old star shortstop received a 14-year, $340 million contract extension from the team last week, which sounds like a ton of money until you realize that it's actually not as much as he would have gotten if he'd been on the open market in, say, five or six years, uh, assuming he stayed healthy and kept improving at his current rate. But just on the surface, to me, it's a great deal for both sides with Tatis securing his future with a ton of money uh, and committing to the Padres for life, essentially and the team getting what will end up being a bargain on the young face of their franchise, again, assuming he doesn't get hurt or decline, but you rarely see a player this good, even though he doesn't have a ton of games under his belt yet, decline enough to not justify the money. So, I don't know. It's hard to say this far in the future, but to me, I think it was a savvy move by the Padres' front office. I'm thrilled for that team, even as a divisional rival to my favorite team. I'm thrilled for them. I'm thrilled for Tatis, and I'm especially excited to see that one of the game's brightest young stars will remain in, in my opinion, one of the best baseball towns in the country for most, if not all of his career. What are your thoughts? So, uh, you know, I, I did, I did some reading, I did some deep diving into this. And first off, I have to say it is so refreshing to see a team actually do right by the player. Um, you know, the, the biggest thing that you see all these teams do, and I think we'll probably get to this topic later in our podcast, but they do that service time manipulation, which is garbage. It's, I mean, it's, it's called, I mean, for lack of a better term, if, if you want to be just really, for those who don't know how they manipulate service time, it's, it's pretty much just indentured servitude. They hold on you. They don't play you at the beginning of the year, but if they hold on you and keep you in the minors for a couple of months, then they get an extra year that they have control over your contract. It's garbage. Honestly, that needs to be done away with. But they didn't do it for them. When he came into the league, he started with Manny Machado a couple of years ago. So they lost that year, but they did right by him. And they did right, and they gave him and in this contract. So they did it before he hits arbitration, because let's be honest, if he hit arbitration, the way he's been producing, the trajectory he's on, he was going to be commanding, what, close to $50 million a year? I mean, I mean, eventually, eventually, yeah, eventually like through arbitration, arbitration yeah. blowing up. So there, so the first year of the contract is going to be like essentially like 50 million, which is insane, but like that's kind of major league sports. But after that, it's pretty much going to boil down to 29 million a year, which for the best shortstop in the league by stats is a steal. And they also did right by him, which was very refreshing. They did a no trade clause. So it's not like the Arenado deal with the, the, the Rockies, where they signed into a deal. And then two years later, like, and eh, we want to save some money. We're trading you. Get out of here. So just it was a breath of fresh air in terms of contracts and things that honestly I felt the league has needed over the past year with all the just dumping of amazing players. I'm thrilled for him. You know, it, I, I, I think it's a great thing for both him. I mean, his great-great-grandkids are going to have money. So I, I think it's fantastic. And he's the kid, the way he's been playing, he's on a trajectory for the Hall of Fame. So if you can get him at a deal and a bargain, which they clearly did, and that's just insane to even say $340 million is a bargain. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's the world we live in with sports. So, yeah, cool. I'm happy for him. Yeah, and to your point about the – um, you know, doing right by the player. It's it's nice. They actually kind of did a mutually agreeable thing where Tatis got his no trade clause, but he also agreed to a contract with no opt outs, which has become very popular in baseball these days. So he cannot opt out of the contract and the Padres cannot trade him without his consent. So, you know, there's kind of that 
mutual respect thing where neither of them can end the contract prematurely without the other's permission, essentially, which really spoke to me as like a the right way to structure a contract, especially with all the ways that owners and GMs try to cut corners these days. And yeah, he, I know his contract is front loaded, so they will pay quite a bit over these next few years. And then it actually is even lower per year for the final 10 years or so, which if he again, continues on this trajectory that he's on already, one of the best shortstops in the game with barely, you know, a season and a half to his name. Um, it's going to be a massive, massive bargain for San Diego. So Good for them. Good for Tatis. I think that's great news. And I love seeing a quote unquote small market team actually spending to be competitive and not manipulating service time and, you know, playing, (laughs) playing baseball the right way instead of doing it for the bottom line, the finances. So good on both of them. Um, Before we move to some baseball predictions, I got to know from you, buddy. I mean, you just said it 340 million saying that's a bargain sounds hilarious, but what would you do if someone handed you a contract saying, Hey, here's 340 mil, by the way, you're playing sports for this money. I mean, how do you react to that? Uh, I mean, first I, I'm just going to laugh. Like this is, I can't even fathom that kind of money. Second off, I'm going to make sure I'm in a state where I'm not going to get taxed the Dickens out of, because depending on where you're at, like that 340 million decreases very quickly. Um, that being said, I, I mean, that's a hell of a deal. And I think it's different from, like we said, it's, I don't think it's the same as, um, uh, who was it? Was it uh, Ozzy Albiez from the, the Braves that signed like two years ago for a ridiculously low deal? Yeah. Him and Acuna Jr. Both got even more team friendly deals from the Braves. Right. And I, but I, I feel like those deals are more the teams kind of taking advantage of the situation. Like they, they were in a business perspective, it was genius on the Braves part, but like they kind of undercut the player. Whereas this, I feel like, so uh, I mean, I, it's ridiculous. I'm, I'm thrilled for him. I'm happy for him because the Padres, another player to potentially get in the hall of fame. Um, but I have a question for you. Do you now, do you think going forward, and I think I'm, I know what, you're, what your answer is going to be, but do you think this is going to be more of an exception or more of the new norm with these players agreeing not to do opt-outs if the team gives them a no trade? Do you think it's the norm going forward it's going to be the norm, or do you think this is more of the exception? I would love to say that it will start trending that way. Um, however, the Padres front office and their GM, have they've proven that they do things differently. Um, In this case, obviously, the right way, in most people's opinion. But I don't know. Uh, I think that is the fairest way to do it, since opt-outs and no-trade clauses are now kind of the norm in general, um, one way or another. I would love to see that trade-off happen more often. But to be perfectly honest, I'm going to say no. I think that it is going to continue being you know, a power struggle that owners ultimately end up winning in most cases. And that's a shame. I hope that it will change because that would mean good things for the sport overall. But yeah, for now, probably not. I, I, I would agree with that. I hate to say it, but I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. So, I mean, it is funny, though, that we talk about the Padres, right? Like, so there's the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Red Sox, et cetera, all these big market teams with huge payrolls. They're often accused of buying their teams, right? Which... I find funny now that two of the seven $300 million plus contracts ever handed out in baseball are by the Padres. <laughs> it was like one of the poorest markets. I think they're like 27th market out of 30 in baseball or something. And it kind of puts to bed this myth of small market teams not being 
able to compete with the big market teams. And I don't know. I think every owner could hypothetically do what the Padres are doing. They just choose not to. And that's an issue we've talked about in the past. I'm sure we'll talk about again, but you know, what are you going to do? It's the nature of sports these days. It's a business more than anything. And that's a shame. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's yeah. disgusting. Now, a lot of different projections, predictions, odds, et cetera, have been released for baseball. Now that we're into spring training, um, ESPN's odds have my Dodgers projected for the most wins by any team since the world champion Yankees of 1999, which is insane. Um, another analyst predicted that the Padres would win 97 games and still finish 15 games back of the Dodgers in the division. You know, you've got a ton of talent in the American League, of course, too, but no true standout favorite. I think the two best teams are in the same division, and that would be the Dodgers and Padres, but only one can represent the league in the World Series. So, I'm asking you today, we're early, but who do you have right now making it to the fall classic from each league? And then the second question, who brings the hardware home? You know, uh, I'm, I'm going to say, honestly, um, while I do think the Padres are going to give the Dodgers a run for their money during the regular season, I think when it comes down to it, the Padres are still a year away. They're still a young team. I think they're at least a year away from actually breaking through. I think they're going to kind of be that team that's on the rise and, they make it deep in the postseason, but they're not going to pass the Dodgers because the Dodgers have the experience. They have the vets, and, and they know how to get through those times. Um, so I, I fully expect Do- – I mean, right now, yeah, the, the Dodgers are out of the, out of the NL are my choice. And um, out, of, out of the AL, I don't know. Uh, I mean, the Yankees loaded up with pitching, and I feel like they've been kind of qu- – not quiet, but they haven't been up to their usual level of excellence – um, so they're due for a run. So, you know what, why not? Let's go with the uh, – yeah, I'm going to go with the Yankees. I think the Blue Jays definitely could do some great things. But, again, I think they haven't gelled as a team where the Yankees have and the Yankees are the Yankees. So I see the Yankees and the Dodgers with the Dodgers taking it in six. I know how truly painful that must have been for you, a Red Sox fan, to say that the Yankees will go to the World Series. But I respect the honesty. Um, I'm also impressed that you – for the first time on our podcast, mentioned the Toronto Blue Jays without saying, but they always crap the bed. <laughs> That's your favorite, <laughs> your favorite Blue Jays line. It is. Well, from my point of view, obviously I'm a Dodgers fan. I am biased, but I think there's also very little doubt that they are the best team in baseball on paper. So I do think the defending champions will stave off the Padres, which it's crazy. It sucks that one of those two teams will likely be in a one-game wildcard playoff to <laughs> – Continue on in the postseason after probably winning 95-plus games. It's not going to happen very often. Um, the American League's a little more wide open. I don't think there's a favorite, although I would say if I had to pick one, it would be the Yankees. Um, I'm going to go super, super homer here. I'm going to have the Dodgers winning the World Series again, and I think they're going to beat the Oakland A's, who is my hometown American League team that I root for. It's a bit of a dark horse choice. I think a lot of people expect them to finish second to the Astros in the West, but... I actually think they're a lot better than people realize. They are consistently making smart moves, kind of like the Rays do. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're a bit of an out-there choice in the American League. I don't think the um, American League as a whole is that strong after maybe the Yankees. I think the White Sox are kind of like the Padres, where they're very close but not quite there. Um, but the A's also have a really experienced, savvy manager, Bob Melvin. I think he finally breaks them through, gets them back to the World Series. And unfortunately for them, I think they <laughs> run into the juggernaut that is the Dodgers. And 
end up losing in probably five or six games. Uh, although, you know, the baseball postseason really is a crapshoot. So who knows? It could end up being like the Marlins and the Royals or something crazy. <laughs> Can't wait to find out. Wow, the Oakland A's, huh? That's interesting. You know, and, and you're you're more tuned into that than I am. But, I, I mean, I've... All right. I like it. I like it. You know what? It's outside the box thinking. I went with the big name teams. I like it. I, I, now I guess I'm going to have to make sure I watch uh, more Oakland A's games this year. Yeah. You know, they're not a big name team by any means, but they have made it the playoffs several times in the last decade. They are consistently competitive. And if you want specific players to watch, you really you can't get better than a duo of Matt Chapman, who's essentially the Arenado of the American league and Jesus Lizardo, who's like the next Kershaw, hopefully for the A's um, just really young left-handed pitcher. And then of course, Chapman is the like perennial gold glove winning third baseman who drops bombs. So yeah, the A's are a lot more fun than people give them credit for. Uh, I think that that would be a super exciting world series matchup. I can only hope that my two favorite teams would square off and leave me with that win-win <laughs> situation that fans rarely get to see in in championships but um let's touch on one quick kind of fascinating subject that came up in the nba over the past week um this is according to an espn report there are several star players in the nba now who are apprehensive about taking part in a psa for the league about vaccinations um the idea was apparently to have like big name players get their vaccines on camera doing a psa about the importance of getting vaccinated and a lot of players are reportedly hesitant for various reasons. And this is obviously not something that is native to the NBA. You know, it's, it's apparently very common, especially among minority populations to be a little wary of these things. And I don't, with all due respect to the medical industry, I don't necessarily, uh, you know, I don't disagree. Well, no, let me rephrase that. (laughs) I can't blame that. I obviously, I believe in vaccines. I think that everyone should get it if given the opportunity, but I don't know. It's interesting to see big name athletes given this opportunity and passing on it. Um, I don't know. We've touched on the race issue and the racial gap in the NBA where a lot of owners and league officials are by and large, wealthy white people in most sports leagues. Um, Anyway, I'm not trying to make this into more of an issue than it is, but it's an interesting hurdle to an objectively good PSA idea. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are on this whole situation. Yeah, you know what? Um, I I, I definitely think it's very interesting, but I'm going to start by saying um, I I, I totally understand where the players are coming from because he, he... Hey, we want you guys to do this PSA about the importance of getting vaccines, but in the same breath, they're like, oh, no, we're going to hold the all-star game. So you can't talk out mm. – you, you can't have it both ways. You can't talk out of both sides of your mouth. Like, like the, you look like idiots. Like, oh, yeah, it's important to get the vaccine, but we're going to have an all-star game with people who aren't vaccinated, and it's going to be okay. Like, to me, that's garbage. Like, you know – it's just, and already we're at a point in the season where the league has lost 30 some 30 plus games to COVID already. And we're not even halfway through the season. So I, so I, to me, this seems more like a, Hey, we want you guys to get vaccinated. 
So we're not having to potentially lose more money. Like again, and, and you and I have had this conversation numerous times with all the leagues, but it, the NBA, I feel like, has been the most shameless out of them all right now in terms of money grabs. Like the All-Star game feels like a money grab. This feels like a way to kind of recoup their money. And I'm not going to get into the, the, the background stories, but there, there's a really dark history of racism and un- unethical treatments um, of minorities in medical studies and experimentation. And, mm-hmm. and, and the, the one that comes to mind for me was the Tuskegee study that was in 1932 uh, for African-American men with, with syphilis. And, mm-hmm. and I, I'm not going to get all, all into it because that's not like, I, you know, but if you want to look it up, just Google it, the Tuskegee study of 1932. But essentially, they, they didn't treat the patients. And then once it became clear that penicillin was, could help, like the, the, the patients, the study patients still didn't get the medication. And so there's this deep mistrust in the minority community of vaccines and studies because that, the Tuskegee study wasn't just the only one. There, there, there's many instances throughout history. And I think one thing that we've learned, you know, over the past year or two, and even I've become more aware of it as you and I have throughout our podcast, is that racism plays a part in all levels of the world we live in today. Like, we've always used sports as an escape from the real world because the real world is pretty flipping terrible sometimes. And the past year has highlighted that. But even sports is not immune to this ugly disease that is racism. And, and so for players to say, no, I'm, I don't want to be in a, I don't want to be in a PSA about this. Like, I, that's fine with me. I don't have a problem with it. I get it. Like, I think that that's there one, they're within their rights. And two, they're still like, from what, from what I've read and researched, like, there are medical directors and Fauci has talked to teams and like they're educating them. And the, and for everything I've heard, like the teams are asking and the players are asking like good questions. Like they're asking pointed directed questions about like this and that about like the vaccine and will it affect my, my, my performance, which I think as an athlete, that's something you need to take into consideration, but I don't have a problem with them at all being hesitant. And, and, I, and honestly, I don't agree with the NBA leadership trying to pressure the players into doing this even the nfl didn't do that and i mean the nfl is no by no means the leader of good decisions and if even they didn't pressure that and granted like it's a different time i don't think the vaccine was available like it is now but i i 100 percent side with the players in this and i don't blame them but granted i've got the vaccine i recommend if people are able to or have access to it as a nurse i would recommend it but at the same time, if it's not something that you're comfortable with or, or you don't feel you have the right information, then by all means, don't get it. But uh, I side with – so 30 minutes later, sorry, as I got on my little soapbox, uh, I agree with the players. And I don't blame their hesitancy on this because I think the NBA is talking about both sides of the mouth. Well, I especially appreciate your perspective as someone who works in the medical field and deals with the pandemic head on. You know, it's especially interesting to hear your take on that. So I appreciate the – um, detailed response. And I, for what it's worth, agree. I had a little trouble kind of turning this over in my head only because I, you know, I think it's important uh, that the information going out to the public be good. And I think there's very few 
avenues that are as strong as celebrities or athletes or whoever politicians, you know, getting their vaccines on TV or in a commercial or whatever and reassuring the public that it is safe um, and that it can help and it is doing something for the greater good. But like you said, I'm not sure where we draw the line with the NBA, like asking their players to do it, especially when they're being hypocritical about it. So yeah, there is that kind of deep, distrust of certain institutions especially in the minority community that has all been exploded over the past few years of political turmoil and i really you know I, it's not just sports i i've read plenty of stories about um, regular citizens especially in heavily minority communities that don't trust the vaccine and that's probably because of exactly what you said there's a long history of you know medical research being discriminatory there's a lot of disinformation out there so i guess all we can really hope for as people and as sports fans is that the media landscape the disinformation etc all of that can subside and smart ideas like having a universally recognized athletes promoting safe vaccination to end a global pandemic can take a hold i don't know if the nba has you know a genuine interest in doing this if it's just for pr if they really just want to do good by their fans or if it's all for money and it's probably all for money because they are a sports league but yeah i don't know lots of rambling thoughts from me um i hope that one way or another it gets solved in a positive manner that's all i'll say all right we're going to introduce the first of two new segments on this episode try to keep up folks <laughs> this is called uh, move the needle where i'm going to ask you kush to tell me how much the news i read out moves the needle for you as a sports fan so yeah get your head out of the gutter what i mean is whether the news makes you leap out of your chair a 10 right on a <laughs> one to ten scale or say uh okay sure news yay that's a one right no excitement so uh, let's start. Our first one is about Carson Wentz, traded to the Colts to play under Frank Reich, just like you predicted last episode, actually. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how much does this news move the needle for you? Uh, so you know what? It, it moves the needle for me a decent amount because um, I'd say hmm, 5 or 6. And I don't rank it higher only because everybody saw this coming. And there's nothing wrong. Everybody was like, oh, no, like you want all these hot takes and all these things. But it's like sometimes – the smartest move for the player and the team is the most boring move or it's the most obvious move. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that this, this is great because, you know, the Colts continue doing what they're doing and they're patchworking quarterbacks in. I think this is well because Wentz clearly lost his confidence this past year. Peterson did nothing for that. I think going back to the coach that he worked with when he had his best year statistically will help build his confidence. He's also going to play under the best line that he's ever played behind, in my opinion. Even though Costanzo retired, I think the Colts' offensive line is one of the best in the NFL. He also has receivers and running backs that he did not have in Philly. However, talking about Wentz, I think the more interesting story that gives me more amusement is Michael Pittman, who just finished his rookie year, is saying he refuses to give up the number 11, which is his jersey number, for Wentz. I like that. To me, that's a bigger story. I love the fact that Michael Pittman's like, nah, screw you, dude. This is my number. Get your own. That is really funny. I always wonder how those go down. You know, sometimes you hear about the wealthy veterans saying like, look, dude, I'll pay you 500 grand for your stupid number. <laughs> and that's just how it goes down. But I love that he's holding his ground. Good for him. 
Um, for me, this is a five on the needle scale at best. Uh, kind of with you, the, the Colts are doing more patchwork here. I find it mildly interesting, but they're willing to make Wentz their guy for at least one season. I'm actually more intrigued by a discussion we don't really have time for today, unfortunately, which is whether the bounty that Philly gave up to trade up for Wentz in the first place really paid off. Like, obviously, they won a Super Bowl with Wentz uh, in charge for the regular season, at least. Then they paid him a bunch of money. Then they ate some salary, traded him for a couple measly picks. So it's kind of – that's the more interesting part to me is, like, did this all work out for the Eagles? It was just getting the one Super Bowl, even if he wasn't the quarterback in that game, worth it. Anyway, I'll toe the line in the middle here. I'm going to say the needle has moved just a bit for me, so a five. Um, next topic, on a scale of one to ten, again, ten being the most excited. How much does the needle move when I tell you Tim Tebow has retired from professional baseball? I mean, to play professional baseball, you have to make it to the majors, right? Did he make it to the majors? He did not, but technically, any – league that pays you to play baseball is professional uh, baseball, I, so. yeah that's true i mean he, i didn't realize he was still I, didn't, I i i did not realize he was still playing um look here's the thing like we can all agree whether you love him or hate him he was a hell of a college athlete he won the heisman he won national championships but he peaked in college that's nothing to be ashamed of the man's done more athletically than a lot of people have done in their lifetime. So, like, good for him. And he's got a great job on ESPN and the, uh, the SEC Network and all that. Like, he, he's doing very well for himself. It's not like, oh, he finished minor league baseball and he's got nothing now. It's He's fine. And so, well, one, maybe a two. I'll, you know what? I'll give it a two because I don't want to be hateful. But uh, I don't care. I didn't. I didn't realize he was still playing <laughs> professional baseball. We are uh, lockstep on these so far. I, I agree. I'm at a two. And I'm a huge baseball fan, obviously. And I, I know Tebow is, quote unquote, a professional baseball player, right? We just talked about it. He, I don't think he ever got above double A. But if you're in the minor leagues, you're largely considered a professional ball player, even if you're making peanuts salary wise. But I don't know. I mean, good for Tebow for trying a different sport, right? And being good enough to hit a little bit, even if he was clearly more of a publicity stunt for the Mets overall. But yeah, I think as far as moving the needle, this news barely registers for me. I'm pretty tired of the media eating up the Tebow baseball story, no matter what he does. And frankly, he did not deserve to be holding someone else's spot on the double-A roster. You know, he, again, was more of a publicity stunt. And as much respect as I have for a guy that will go out and try a new sport when the first one doesn't work out, uh, you know, I really do forget that he was even on the Mets <laughs> until they start flashing on my screen at an incredible pace every spring. So, yeah, I'm going to say a two here. Um, okay, our third and final move-the-needle topic. Uh, the NHL did its latest outdoor series where they have a couple games played in front of fans at an outdoor rink. This year was a little different because they couldn't have normal fans. But they built this rink uh, about 50 yards from the shores of Lake Tahoe, which is the area I grew up snowboarding at and spending summers at. It's just a stunningly beautiful place if you've never been but they you know they literally built this rink like on a golf course on the shore of the lake so there were actually some fans out on kayaks and jet skis and boats in the lake and they actually had pretty good view of the games and overall the pictures are just stunning i thought it was really cool but they did have some weather issues with some of the warm sun melting the rink to the point where they had to like delay and push back a few games to later in the night when it was going to be colder uh that aspect got a little messy but 
overall, I'm curious how much this idea as a whole, this outdoor series excites you. Should they continue to do it? Uh, so, okay. So you said, how far is Lake Tahoe from you? What, what, well, from, from your childhood home? You can get to the closest like ski resort, the mountain, uh, from where I grew up in like two and a half hours. And you traffic. grew and sorry to cut you off. You grew up in Oakland, California, right? We'll call it Oakland. It was a smaller suburb near Oakland, but yeah, that's one. That's the place more people will recognize. The and, to me. and so again, generally Oakland's like warm most of the time of the year, right? Oh yeah. I mean, we never got cold weather. <laughs> My parents are living in the same town I grew up in. I think they told me the other day that it was like 75. So, you know. all right. So here's my point. Oh my gosh. Newsflash. Bright sun melts ice. <laughs> like uh, I, that, I'm thrilled that I, I, and I know Lake Tahoe water stays cold. A lot of the time it's very cold water. Great. Hooray for them. However, I feel like this is a this is an issue every year. Like, yes, I get it. The optics are beautiful. Let's play in the, uh, with Lake Tahoe in the background. Cool, but it's dumb. It's dumb. Hockey, you need ice, and you can't play the game if the ice is melting. Every year, there's some kind of issue. Like, it, it, I feel like there was even an issue in Boston a few years ago, I feel like, if I remember correctly, where it was like some kind of shenanigans. So it's just like, play the games at night, and it's not a problem. I, I like the outdoor series. I think it is a very. I, I think it's a different way for the NHL to appeal to the average fan and to get people invested in the game. I, I like that, but it's just like every year we have these issues, man. Either play it, play it like in Canada, where it's cold all the time, and you can play during the day, or play it in areas where the temperature is going to drop at night and the ice won't be ruined. So. Uh, I'll say I'm more annoyed. It moves the needle more in annoyance for me than entertainment. So I'll give it a four. Okay. We finally disagree on one. Maybe this is more of an issue, kind of like what you're saying with the more serious hockey fan of which I am certainly not, but, and this may again be a home area bias. I don't care as much for hockey as many people who would go to that game. But that said, if I was still living in California and was offered a chance to go see some NHL games and an outdoor rink on the shores of Tahoe, I'd be all over that. So I understand the ice issues. I'm with you on that. They obviously need to clean that up and not focus on doing the games at, you know, six Eastern three Pacific on the West coast when clearly the sun's going to be an issue. Like they got to get over this whole like primetime thing to make it work. But overall, I think it's a really creative way to market a sport that is not one of the top three or four sports in America. And they're trying to expand to a new fan base. I don't know. I think this is one of the cooler things that a pro sports league does to market themselves in America right now. So I'm going to give it an eight. I hope it succeeds. I hope they keep going and I hope they just iron out those wrinkles along the way. All right. So I'm going to go rogue. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going off script. I'm going to add one more move the needle for you. All right. uh, so recently their video came out of this. High, and I'm sure you've seen the video and all this nonsense. High school kid who was invited to Cam Newton's football camp, talked smack to Cam and told Cam, you're a free agent. And Cam's response was, I'm rich. And the kid just saying, yeah, but you're a free agent. Pretty much like insinuated like Cam, like you're washed up. So, and then Cam finally said, oh, hey, where's your dad? Let me talk to your dad. 
I, I realize like eh, nobody cares about Cam Newton getting it with a child. Like whatever, it's just stupid. But in it, what is your reaction? Like, does this move the needle for you? What are your thoughts on this? Go. I am so glad you went rogue because that was a pretty big story the last few days. Um, and if you had asked me like when the first news item about that broke, I'd say my needle was not moved at all. <laughs> it was just like, okay, that kid's being annoying, you know, and Cam is reacting to a kid. He probably has no business engaging with, you know, in this context at least. Um, but afterwards, uh, you know, Cam shared a longer video of the interaction himself um, the kid actually wrote an apology that he posted to Twitter, probably to save face. Let's be real. He's a kid. But um, yeah, now that we're at this point where there's an actual conversation going around, like about campers at these pro athletes camps, respecting the pro athletes who come and give their time to them. And we're talking about this like need for social media clout <laughs> among young people. You know, I'm, I'm guilty myself in certain ways, but it's silly to think that like, to me, it looks like this kid was like, Ooh, I have a chance to own this professional football player. Who's like known nationwide, very popular and polarizing for that matter figure in the NFL. Like now's my chance. I'm just going to go crazy and put it on my Snapchat or TikTok or whatever the heck he was using. And how spectacularly that backfired because Cam ended up handling it very well. Right. You know, the first interaction you saw was, a little rough where he's just shouting, I'm rich, I'm rich. I'm like, okay, that's a little weak. <laughs> but at the end of it, it really just makes Cam look like the mature professional athlete he is and the kid look like someone clout chasing him. I don't know. Overall, I ended up, I'd say, probably around a six or a seven on this move the needle um, just based on all of those separate factors that kind of came about at the end of it. How about you? You know, I'll agree with you. I first heard about it and I was like, I don't really care. Oh, shocker. Like somebody's trolling Cam. And then I, I kind of looked into it. So I give it about a six. I will say, like you said, it, but he, here's the thing. Like you got this kid talking smack to you to saying you're a free agent. It's like, I mean, you're obnoxious, but like as Cam, like what else are you going to say? Like, like it, I'll be honest. Like, you know, if somebody talks smack to you on the streets, like you're going to say some stuff. But like the best thing you can say is like, no, I'm, I'm rich. Like, I don't care. I think if I was if I was this kid's parents, I, I'd whoop him because it's like you know what, like you you got asked and were invited to this camp, and then the first thing you do, not only do you talk smack to the guy whose camp it is, like you film it, mm-hmm. like what what on what planet are you what what are you trying to do? Like you're silly, like and it just I but I think I think ignoring the child and his immaturity because that's I mean this it's a it's a teenager being a teenager and we all know. Teenagers are dumb as rocks. <laughs> we we've both been there. And, oh, I, I, and I, that's why I feel like I can speak from experience. Teenagers <laughs> are dumb as rocks. But I think it also shows the the maturation of Cam Newton as not a player but as a person. Because I feel like if this had happened to Cam three, five, seven years ago, it would have been a much different reaction from Cam. And I think it would have been a little bit more aggressive on his side and, and a probably potentially a little bit more inappropriate. So I, um, I was impressed with how Cam handled it. I think the kid was immature. I could care less if he wants to 
apologize or whatever because he looked like a jackass, so that's on him. <laughs> but like, to me, it's just like you got invited to Cam Newton's camp. Like, be thankful you're there to learn from uh, an, M- an NFL MVP. Like, how many people can say I was MVP, the best of the best? Like, just shut up and listen. Like, just be humble. Like, don't don't be like hey, if you have an opportunity like this little kid had. Don't be that kid. Be humble and listen and learn. That's that's all I got to say. Yeah, I think that was a good addition to the section because it is a little bit surprising to see yeah, a kid in that position given that great opportunity to learn from a quarterback who, yeah, might be a little bit past his prime now, but he was really great at his peak and to potentially waste it and ruin his potential NFL or college or whatever football future just by being a little turd <laughs> it's like that was silly i don't know um all right well we are going to go back to our round robin shit today as well we're going to do three quick topics to discuss uh starting with some tennis so i'm not the most avid tennis watcher but i'll tell you what it is pretty fun to play even if i'm terrible at it and i do enjoy seeing the great ones like serena uh play tennis so at the Australian Open, it was Serena Williams versus uh, Naomi Osaka in the final. And the youngin took it. She beat her mentor, her kind of favorite player growing up. She beat Serena in straight sets to capture the uh, title of the tournament. And, uh, yeah, I'm just wondering what you thought of that. If this is the – I wouldn't say it's the end for Serena. She's obviously got plenty left in the tank. But is this kind of another signifier of – the next generation coming up and replacing the Serena's of the world. I mean, Naomi Osaka is, I think, 23 years old, maybe. Um, I don't know. Anytime we get to see a match like that, it's pretty cool. But curious what you think about whether this is like a torch passing moment in women's tennis. Um, you know, it's funny that you say uh, torch passing because I, I think that that very well could be what what we saw. Um, you know, I watched the highlights, uh, you know, I'm not a big, I'm, I'm not even gonna lie. Like I'm not a tennis fan. I think it's that the athletes that play that are amazing. You got to run and yell and grunt and do all these things. And, uh, I'm not trying to be flippant. Like it's, it's a very hard sport to play. However, I think that, um, if you watch Serena at the end, she kind of almost took a moment before she left the court and then when they were interviewing with reporters, her quote, her direct quote, and I wrote it down here, was, if I ever say farewell, I wouldn't tell anybody. And then she kind of got teary-eyed. Another reporter asked her a question after that. She started to answer and then said, I'm done, and left. And I think she's, she's 39. She's in 26 years of competing. She's won 23 major titles. Jeez. That's just on a leg – if you want to talk about goats, to go back to our conversation last time, this woman is up there with the best of the best, in my opinion. Hands down, no questions asked. So I, passing the torch, yes, because in, in the accounts that I've read of the game or the, the match and watching the highlights, do you know what it reminded me of? you know what, who Naomi reminded me of? Serena. When Serena was at her dominance because – Serena would make these make these hit hit these balls back and, and start making a run, and then she'd run into a wall, and it was like inevitable. Like Naomi just would overcome her and just keep on coming. And 
don't get me wrong. I think until Serena steps off the court, there will always be she, her shadow will always be over all of this. Like she could win, but I do think we saw a very big moment in this match. I hope she doesn't retire. I hope she does. I hope she does what's best for her, because there's nothing worse than seeing an athlete continue to try to play after their peak. But far be it from me to tell Serena when she's ready to quit. This this woman is one of the greatest athletes of all time. Completely agree, and we can only hope that whether this is the end for Serena or not. I'm with you. I don't think it is. I hope it's not. But again, if she wants to go out on this note, that's on her. It's her career, and it's been a historic one. Um, but we can only hope that regardless, Naomi Osaka is coming to fill her shoes and we have the next great woman's tennis star on our hands here because she is very fun to watch. She's young. She's got a bright career ahead of her and she's now beating the goat woman's tennis player, maybe just the goat tennis player, regardless of gender, um, in the final of a you know major tournament. And that's really, really cool to see. So, um, let's talk about... The Seattle Mariners. Yay. Let's talk about their president, now former president. He actually got fired or he quit or whatever, like literally as we are starting our recording today. His name is Kevin Mather. Uh, That's the last time we'll say it. But he gave a talk to a local Rotary Club that was recorded and then put on YouTube, and it blew up the internet the other day. Um, Just a quick recap, some of the lowlights of his discussion. Uh, He admitted that their third baseman, their star player, one of their longest tenured members of the team, Kyle Seeger, who is in a contract year, was overpaid and wouldn't be brought back, prompting Seeger's wife to post a tweet, uh, basically asking if they should just put their house on the market now in Seattle. <laughs> um, he took thinly veiled shots at Japanese former pitcher and now Mariners coach His- Hisashi Iwakuma for using a translator and uh, apparently the difficult Uh, payment of the translator as if they can't afford that. Like that's ridiculous. But anyway, uh, also took a shot at top prospect Julio Rodriguez for not speaking English very well, even though multiple beat writers with the Mariners said right afterwards, basically what the heck is he talking about? Rodriguez speaks very good English and he's been working his butt off to get better. And then finally he admitted to purposely holding back two other top top prospects, uh, Jared Kalenic and Logan Gilbert. So as to keep them under club control a little, a little longer, save the Mariners money, Essentially, this guy said everything baseball fans suspect about owners and front offices and threw in a dash of racism there for good measure. So I don't even know where to begin with this. I'm just going to let you take it away. So uh, I'm not going to say this guy's name because, frankly, he's resigned. Um, Like you said, he resigned as we were starting to record our podcast. I saw the ticker on the bottom of my screen for ESPN, so I was very excited to tell you. Um, The first thing that comes to my mind and and this is something my mom used to ask me or and i and i've heard other people ask people and and it's you know right after all this publicized this jackass said i'm sorry it was a lapse in judgment my first thought is are you really sorry you said those things or are you sorry you got caught because those are two very different things and 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 like you said and like we talked about before we started recording like this is what, and again, it drives me up a wall because I, I want my sports to be sports and the world is screwed up enough as it is and there's enough issues, but it just, all this goes to show you is that like the issues that we're having in the world permeate through our sports as well. And 
this guy was the CEO of the Mariners, and he's talking about, oh, this Dominican can't speak English well. Never mind that he speaks two flipping languages. And not only in that, they used him for a YouTube commercial or something. So clearly they thought he spoke English well enough that they could market him on the internet. Uh, the Japanese player had a translator. I don't really know if he was pissed about the fact that the Japanese guy needed a translator because he didn't like because his comment was, I didn't think we need to pay him 75 grand a year. And his comments after that were, oh, after we said that, his English got really good really fast. Like, the guy's a jackass. All this does is further perpetuate the views and it just distances players from management. And, and all this, it reinforces for me why all these moves have been made where you see all the, the Red Sox, the, Indi the Cleveland baseball team, and the Rockies offload all these players for business reasons. And management does not look at their players as human beings. They look at them as uh, business assets. I, I don't really know a better way to say that. But and, – and, and it's just – it's exhausting because I feel legitimately every week on this podcast at one point, whether it's a round robin or a major discussion or anything, we're talking about some idiot saying some stupid, bigoted, racist, sexist thing. And all I can say is I hope it changes. I hope that now with everybody recording everything and it's just like, when did, why did you, I'm glad he said it because he clearly thinks it like this is clearly what he thinks. I just, maybe this will start bringing more attention to the fact that this isn't just cloistered to like society. It affects everything. Like it's, it's in sports as much as it's in society. And if it just gets one or two more people like to be social advocates, then I mean, thanks for this jackass, but he resigned I think, honestly, he was probably given a choice, resign or we're going to fire you. I had notes before he resigned to say, you know, if I was a Mariner player, I would refuse to play or I'd ask for a trade unless he lost his job. I don't advocate for anybody losing their job, but if you're in this position and you're saying these things about your employees, you don't deserve to be there. So, I mean, he resigned. Um, it was the right thing to do, but in my eyes, he's still a scumbag. I, I'm just... I'm exhausted that this is a constant topic that we're addressing. I think it needs to be addressed. I don't want to not address it, but it's just, it's exhausting. And that's all I got to say. Yeah. It's, uh, we record pretty much once a week, you and I on this podcast. And it seems like every week there's still at least one, sometimes two incidents, like you said, where someone in sports is saying something stupid or doing something stupid that is either borderline illegal or straight up criminal. And it's, yeah, it's getting very old, but I will say I'm happy to see, in this case, the uh, swift kind of retaliation, both internally and externally, right? Like players and players' wives and um, agents and beat writers and fans of the team were all up in arms instantly, as they should be. And so was I, not a Mariners fan, you know, just a random baseball fan. And other people online were pissed off who had no stake in the Mariners. And it it's good to see that that behavior won't be tolerated. And even if you give the former president of the Mariners the biggest benefit of the doubt ever and say, oh, he was joking with buddies. It's like you still said it to a group and you even if you were joking, which, again, I highly doubt it and I'm not going to give him that benefit. But hypothetically, if he was, 
you still made light of some very popular players. Not that it even matters if they're popular, but like you made fun of their English speaking skills. You made fun of their heritages, their races, their ethnicities. Like it's, I don't know. It's yes. It was stupid from a personal perspective for him. It was stupid from a PR perspective, but if you say something like that, whether or not, you know, you're being recorded, it's like, you probably don't deserve to have that much power anyway, whether you're in sports or in another industry altogether. So good riddance to him. I hope he does not get another job. History tells us he will probably land a new front office job in like three days, but knock on wood that he does not. So um, let's go to one last topic here on round Robin. Uh, I think we made this bet on episode two or three. So feels like a long time ago, but really, really not that long, about a month ago, <laughs> um, where we talked about the Wizards and the Lakers. I said the Wizards would reach 10 wins before the Lakers reached 10 losses. They were around the same probability at the time. I am happy to say for myself <laughs> that with the Wizards win over the Blazers the other night, I officially won that bet as they improved to 10 and 17, and the Lakers are still cruising. They've hit a short skid, but they still have just nine losses to their name. Um, interestingly enough this would have been wild interestingly enough those two actually play tonight Wizards Lakers play tonight it's Monday the 22nd that we're recording and it would have been crazy if the Wiz were at nine wins and the Lakers were at nine losses and we'd have this awesome like head-to-head matchup to determine our little personal bet Uh, but I I digress that didn't happen so anyway for this topic what I want to focus on quickly is just one particular player on the Wizards Uh, you may have heard of him his name is Russell Westbrook I want to know if he's still good, because he did have a good game in that win over Portland the other night. But Nate Silver's 538, which is, of course, better known for its political forecasting, but they do a lot with sports as well. They have a statistic they call Raptor in all caps, spelled just as it sounds, like the Toronto basketball team, right? That measures value in the NBA. It's essentially war or wins above replacement for basketball, which is a popular stat in baseball. But it's based on a player's plus minus per 100 possessions and puts value in places that NBA teams actually put value. Like for example, uh, Rudy Gobert and Nikola Jokic are going to get a lot more love than say Dwight Howard or another traditional center. So anyway, according to Raptor Westbrook is tied for third to last among all qualified NBA players right now in terms of this value metric. Yikes. I don't know what to say about that, but, I'm just wondering, have we seen the last of dominant Russell Westbrook or is there something, some kind of comeback forthcoming here? No, no. And I'm emphatic about that. I, um, Westbrook's style of basketball is, is just a battering ram. He doesn't, he doesn't, he, he lives, he doesn't say we're all, we're in the, in the, in the time of the league where everyone's thinking about load management and this and that. He's in the here and now and what he can do to win the game in that moment. He's not thinking about next week, next month, or the playoffs. He's trying to win in the moment. He is he's a battering ram. That being said, he had a quad injury injury in January. The team had COVID issues and were one of the 30-plus games, more than one, but that, that had been canceled due to COVID. The biggest thing about Westbrook is he's a rhythm player. The more he plays, the better he gets. The uh, the tighter his handle gets. The just the better overall he the better his decision making is, his passing, his shooting, all of that. And I think you're starting to see that. And and you also got to remember, like he he just came to a new team, so he's trying to learn everybody. He's he's trying to learn their their likes, their dislikes, how to play with them, how to play off the ball. He's got Bradley Beal, who is also an amazing guard. Who so, so there are a lot of variables in this. 
Do I think – I mean, I don't think we're going to see the Russ of five or six years ago. But I also think Russ has got more left in the tank. So, no, I don't think we've seen the last of them. All these stats and all, all these analytics, like, I I appreciate them, but, like, it's just nerds crunching numbers. I don't care. Like, I do, but I don't at the same time, and I, I don't want to be disrespectful. But, like, no. Like, Raptor, like, I can make – okay, I'll make a T-Rex. Like, I just made up a new <laughs> stat. I don't even know what the hell it is, but it's a new stat that I'm going to start judging people by. And I don't know what the hell it's going to be, but they, it's just it, people make up stats and it's like, for what? What's the Wilsbrook? Russell Westbrook is the leader of that Wizards locker room. They look to him. He's been there. He made Durant better. He, Durant was a, a four-time scoring leader and an MVP when he played with Westbrook. Paul George had his best career playing next to Russell Westbrook. Bradley Beer, Beal is on the trajectory for his best season yet playing next to Russell Westbrook. So like, no, like Westbrook isn't done. He's not as dominant as he was, but he's, he's still a force and the wizards are actually starting to look like a decent team. All right. I'm with you. I think the thought that uh, Westbrook is over the hill at this point is very premature. He is, like you said, has battled some injuries. He's on a new team. I think we will see the regular Westbrook return again, not the one from the peak of his career because he is older than that now. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, that's just natural aging. Um, but I, my main takeaway from what you said there is that I'm so happy that for the seventh episode in a row, we have a Matt Cushman get off my lawn moment. These nerds with their stats <laughs> crunching numbers. <laughs> you got to believe in the eye <laughs> test. The good old eye test is all you need. Here, bring me my whiskey. <laughs> and for the record, I'm going to go out and say T-Rex stands for total rebounds executed times something. So, done. Done. Yeah. It's going to be a real stat. We're going to we're gonna contact Nate Silver, call him a nerd, and then also offer this stat for ransom yeah yeah i'm, I'm yeah let's, <laughs> let's 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 start that let's start a hashtag hashtag t-rex stat yeah finance the um finance the podcast here which costs us actually nothing so maybe we can squeeze something out of them but uh, let's make some more <laughs> all right so we're going to go to our last section one more new section actually uh you have this awesome idea to present our personal mount rushmores on a recent episode so here we are and we we could spend hours doing this so we're going to focus just on the nba today and we'll go to other leagues in the future we'll make this a recurring uh section in future podcasts but uh for the nba this section is called make your case we each get a few minutes to give our four greatest players in the league so again in this case basketball and try to convince the other and the audience of why ours is the best mount rushmore so kush i'm gonna have you go first give me your nba mount rushmore um i think the first person has to be michael jordan uh, and honestly, I think – so this pick for me is is different than what some people might pick him for. But I, I picked Oscar Robinson. The reason I picked Oscar Robertson was because not only was he just an amazing ball player, but on April 29th of 76, he won a court case, and it's now called the Oscar Robertson Rule, where he advocated for players' rights. And because of his – like because of his lawsuit, free agency was instilled. 
like NBA players got free agency. And then after him, MLB and the NBA, they won the same lawsuits. The players won the same rights to have free agency because originally a player was bound to the team for life or until the team felt they no longer needed them and they could trade them. Robertson changed that. And I think that's huge. And I think that needs to be acknowledged. Um, even though athletes today have totally bastardized that, but regardless, Robertson made that possible. So I think he needs to be on, on, on Mount Rushmore. So MJ Robertson, Magic Johnson, and Oh God. Uh, I'm sorry, Boston fans. I can't put Larry Bird up there. Uh, Lord, forgive me. I'm, I'm going to go with Kobe. Uh, LeBron. Oh, the classic Kobe LeBron. And, and that's uh, what I'm saying. So, <laughs> so, my, so when I was not aware that there were only four faces on Mount Rushmore, my, I thought there were five. My first four were MJ, Magic, Bird, and Robertson. And then I literally starred and underlined and circled LeBron, and I did slash Kobe because I was like, ooh, interesting argument. Um, God, I, it's a toss up for me with those two. I don't know, but all right. Well, that's that's the fun in the Mount Rushmore exercises, regardless of position and era, you do have to choose four. So you've got your three Kobe or LeBron for your fourth and final spot there. Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> oh god, you know what? Um, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm gonna go with LeBron. I no disrespect to Kobe. He's one of the greatest of all times. He would be my fifth. But I think LeBron has just, as you've watched, as you've watched his career, you've literally watched him adapt to. Uh, he's he's been amazing. He's he's been able to change his style of play based on the team he's on. He's just done. He's been able to mold himself a lot. Like Kobe was, I'm a square peg. I'm going in a square hole. Everybody else has got to fit around me, right? Mm-hmm. I feel and, and I hate this conversation because I, I hate LeBron, but I respect him. But like LeBron has been able to go from a square peg to a round peg to to a try. He's been able to adjust uh, throughout the years. So I go. My pick is LeBron. That was very painful for me. So thank you for enjoying my pain. Tell me your Mount Rushmore. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure it was a difficult process for me too, but you being the bigger NBA fan, that was probably physically painful for you, whereas for me it was just an existential crisis. So um, (laughs) uh, interesting that we have two players together that are on the same Mount Rushmore. I also chose MJ and LeBron on mine uh, for slightly different reasons with LeBron. But anyway, uh, my other two are Bill Russell, there's your Celtic, and Mm -hmm. Kareem. And here's why, obviously, you know, with all due respect to this massive group, you mentioned a few of the names, but there's such a big group of elite historic NBA players that could easily have a case to go on the NBA Mount Rushmore, right? Like there's Bird, there's Kobe, there's Magic, there's uh, even guys like Tim Duncan, right? That don't get their due, Carl Malone. Anyway, um, kind of my methodology for at least for Russell and MJ, it was easy. Like, yeah, the numbers are there. They're two of the best players ever, regardless of how you slice this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my opinion, you don't put the best or the most exciting or the most beloved or the winningest in this case for Russell, especially players. You don't put those players anywhere, but on Mount Rushmore, they don't sit there looking at Mount Rushmore. They're on it. You know, you have 11 rings or whatever Russell ended up with as a player and coach you get put on Mount Rushmore. <laughs> you're MJ, you're 6-0 in finals, and essentially the most 
mythical figure in American sports history, your odd Mount Rushmore, even if he didn't have the numbers, which he does. Um, for Kareem and LeBron, it was more that they lead in Kareem's case or in LeBron's case will lead in so many major statistical categories. LeBron is poised in the next three or four seasons. And at this rate, he's obviously going to keep playing that long um, to have the most points ever scored. He was up there in some other categories. I think Kareem is a leader in like points and blocks and a couple other categories. I don't know. It's just an endless stream when you look at all-time leaderboards where you keep coming across those names, Kareem and LeBron. Anyway, again, with all due respect to a huge group of players that could have been considered here and were considered for sure, this is my final group I'm going with. MJ, Bill Russell, Kareem, and LeBron. Wow. That's it. But I think we have two uh, solid Mount Rushmores. But I am curious for people listening. I want to know whose is better, where you think we both missed, et cetera, et cetera. We want to know what your thoughts are on your NBA Mount Rushmore. So if you're so inclined, go ahead and uh, tweet us. Tell us why we're wrong. Tell us why we're right. Hopefully the latter. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jamblin Man. That is J-A-M-B-L-I-N Man. One word. Easy. And Kush is at Merce Matt one like nurse with an M. So two very clever Twitter handles, if I do say so myself. But mm-hmm. um, that's all the time we have for today on this episode. But we will be back again soon, of course, like we always are. Uh, for now, everyone, thanks for listening to Bros, Balls, and Bourbon, made with Anchor FM and available wherever you get your podcasts. Please take a moment to rate and review if you like what you heard. If you don't like what you heard, then buzz off. But we will talk to you next time. Thanks for joining me, Matt. It's always good. Always a pleasure, my friend.